1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America
0: NA, a AM member FDIC. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold. Season 1, Episode 23.
1: the agents from the flame were back. Jordan felt the air tighten with their approach, her charms lighting up in agitation. She glanced out the window to be certain, and sure enough, it was the two men from earlier, the smoker and the other one. Neither was smoking now. They stood conferring with each other on the sidewalk in front of the bar, heads bent together. Jordan pulled the curtains further back and peered out at them. A pile of old leaves smoldered in an ashtray on the windowsill. The smoke was a curtain, and when the two men glanced her way, they'd only see an empty window. What are you up to? She whispered. The smoke burned at the back of her throat. The leaves had been soaking in a certain chemical compound for years, and the smell of it wrapped around her the acrid toxicity of the chemicals, an undercurrent of magic. It was one of many charms she had prepared earlier this morning, down in her office. The two men pulled apart, turned, and paced the length of the sidewalk. Jordan counted their steps with them, her breath creating little white puffs on the glass. With each step, her chest grew tighter. Ten. Eleven. 12, 13, she willed them to take one step too many. To ruin their spell's foundation so she wouldn't have to fight, but they didn't. At the 13th step, both men turned around, as if preparing for a duel. The smoker pulled a rolled up scroll out of his pocket. The protection charms thumped in time with Jordan's heart. The smoker unfurled the scroll and dropped it to the sidewalk. Jordan yanked away from the window and bolted over to the bar. She flung open the cabinet and grabbed a handful of the prepared charms, shoving them in her pockets. Then she pulled out a stone box, figures carved into the lid and sides and stained red with ancient blood. She had pulled it out of the safe in her office earlier today, just in case. Beneath her feet, The ley lines hummed. Jordan hurried across the empty room, up to the front door. She could hear the men's voices chanting softly on the other side. Stupid of them, doing a spell like that where anyone could walk by and see. They must be getting desperate indeed. She kicked the door open and stepped out into the cold. The men didn't see her. They were deep into the spell, their eyes closed voices rising up together as they reached out to the ley lines running beneath the bar. A pop came from inside, one of her charms disintegrating into ash. Jordan ground her teeth and held the box overhead. Damn the flame, forcing her to do this out in the open. She began to chant too, a different chant, in an older language. The thing inside the box rattled, thrashing against its confines. The man without the scroll glanced over at her, his eyes going wide. She glowered at him. No one stopped chanting. Her box began to glow, the figures turning molten, though they didn't give off any heat. Her fingers tingled. The box cast a neon glow over the street, over the two men, and the one without the scroll stumbled in his chant and then stepped backward. The smoker's eyes flew open. Damn you, Ivan, he roared, before his eyes found Jordan and her box, and he let out a string of frightened profanity. Get away from my bar, Jordan shouted. She didn't lower the box, but she didn't open it either. She wasn't about to let the thing inside loose on the streets of Prague. She wasn't Gabe, for God's sake. But the two flame men didn't know that. Let them think she was crazy enough to do it. She'd left the ice, after all. You wouldn't dare. The smoker stepped toward her, his scroll fluttering, useless in the wind. Jordan jerked the box so that it pointed at him, and it released a jolt of magic that knocked his head back. Try me, she shouted. And then, a hot burst of power slammed into her back. For a long, stretched out moment, Jordan was flying. Her feet lifted nearly a meter off the ground. Cold air rushed around her. The box, she thought, and she curled it to her chest just as she went sprawling. The impact of her landing sped time up to normal. The box was still shut tight, although her magic had faded from it, and the thing inside had gone quiet. Chanting behind her, low and guttural, She recognized the spell and without thinking rolled to her left into a patch of dirty snow. A ball of fire arced overhead and landed a few paces away. When it hit the ground, the flames erupted, shooting straight up to the sky. They were tinged in green, not red, and they smelled like incense and spices. Jordan scrambled to her feet, feeling around in her pocket as she did so the two flame men were moving toward each other. One of them shouted, but Jordan's hearing was muffled by the haze of magic drifting off the flames. She pulled a tangle of metal out of her pocket. Wollaston wires from an old telescope twisted around a bundle of matches. Platinum and phosphorus. If they wanted to fight with fire, so could she. Hey, she shouted, her voice hoarse. The two men ignored her. They were facing each other, lips moving. Shit, shit, she didn't recognize the spell. Jordan tucked the box under her arm. She twisted the tail of wire in her charm into the shape of an ancient rune, then held the whole thing to her forehead and closed her eyes. She murmured the sound of the rune three times under her breath, and then she hurled the charm onto the street between herself and the men. It exploded in a shower of golden sparks. Jordan flung herself back into the snow, arm up to cover her head. The box slipped out of her grip and landed hard on the frozen dirt. Her heart skipped a beat, but the box was still closed, thank God. She was deeply regretting bringing the thing out here regretting her attempt at a bluff. Her charm continued to spew sparks. From this angle, they were harmless. But on the other side, the side that faced the two flame men, the light would be like staring straight into the sun. She pushed herself up to standing. Her back ached where the flame's agent charm had struck. She lurched over to the golden sparks, one hand shielding her eyes. Behind the fountain of light, the shadows of the two men were scrambling toward her, away from the burning brightness of her spell. You can't take a hint, she shouted at them. I don't want you here. One of them flashed into view between the sparks, his eyes were squeezed shut. Just wanted to talk, he shouted back at her. And then you had to bring out the box of costard. The flame never just wants to talk, Jordan shut back. She had a decision to make. The two men weren't giving up, and they'd already done enough damage fighting out here in the street. These two spells would burn down eventually, leaving mysterious charred spots on the road. But God knew what other weapons these flame bastards had brought with them. And anyway, Jordan's full arsenal was inside tucked away in the restocked cabinet beneath the bar. That didn't mean she wanted to let them in, though. Not with the confluence under their feet. Not with that suicidal determination both of them seemed to possess. The one named Ivan was inching his way toward her. She took a step backward. She had two weapons remaining in her pocket. Two chances to get these men the hell out of here. Ivan slunk past the curtain of light, The skin of his face was red and peeling away in long strips. His eyes flew open. He snarled at her, lifted one hand. Something glowed in his palm. Jordan didn't have time to think. She pulled out both of her remaining charms. A vial of salt water dotted with flakes of gold and a circuit board she designed herself. The copper wiring twisted into the language of the ancients. Ivan gave a cold grin when he saw her two weapons. You think you can defeat the flame with those handmade bubbles? He lifted his glowing palm. The light was a sickly red. Jordan could feel the magic staining the air around her. I do, actually. She flipped off the lid to the vial of salt water and threw it straight up. The gold-flecked water spilled out, Fusing with the air, the ley lines thrummed. The area around her bar was the only place this charm would work, she'd seen to that. Within seconds, the water had turned into a cloud, which turned into a storm. A tiny person-sized storm that rained concentrated energy over its victim. Ivan shrieked and dropped his own charm, which landed on the cement and shattered the magic having flown out of it as soon as it left contact with his skin. Jordan reached into the storm and yanked Ivan out into the clean air. He gazed up at her, eyes wide with fear and panic, his skin glowing from the sudden influx of energy. Whatever the flame wants to do with my bar, they can't have it, she said. You don't get to make their decision, Ivan snarled. Jordan shoved him back into the energy storm. He howled, tried to move away. The cloud followed him. It wouldn't kill him. It just stung like peroxide on an open wound, and it would wash the magic out of him for a day or so. Send word back to your masters, she shouted at him. They're not getting my bar." The sparks from her first charm were dying down, and she could see the other flame agent curled up on the ground behind them. His arms wrapped around his head. Jordan walked over to him. She could feel the heat from the sparks against her back, as hot as the Egyptian sun. The man dropped his arms at the sound of her footsteps and gazed up at her. A heat blister bubbled over his left eye. You'll live, Jordan said and she held up the copper circuit board. Look at your friend over there. The man glanced over his shoulder. His eyes widened. What did you? That's a charm of my own design. So is this. She lifted the circuit board. I guarantee that what it does is worse than that. She tilted her head toward Ivan. So you get the hell out of here before you find out what it is. The man's head lolled; his eyes rolled up toward her. You're going to regret this. I never regret kicking the riffraff at the bar, Vodnar. She stepped back, keeping her eyes on him. Didn't trust him not to try something desperate on her at the last minute. Her little energy storm was dying down and his partner would be free soon, although he would be stripped of his magic. Whatever the flames got planned, they can do it elsewhere. You're supposed to be neutral, the man croaked. He forced himself into a sitting position. You've got a strange idea of neutral if you think it means I'll just give the flame whatever they want. Jordan gazed down at the magic burning itself away in her street. This was ostentatious, even for the flame, It was a quiet, sleepy morning, to be sure, but they hadn't even tried to keep things hidden. Get the hell out of here, Jordan said. And the man lifted his hands in surrender and climbed to his feet. You too, she shouted at Ivan, glancing over her shoulder at him. The storm had evaporated completely. He scowled at her, slick with residue from the energy. You'll be sorry you did this, he hissed. You've made that clear. If I see you hanging around here again, I'm sure I'll be even more sorry. Ivan shuffled over to his partner, and the two glared at her. She flicked her hand at them. Bye-bye. They slumped in defeat, looked at each other, and then trudged away the scent of spent magic rising off of them into the air. Jordan was suddenly very tired. The pain in her back throbbed. She had work to do, clean up, reinforcing and repairing her protection charms, but she didn't move. She watched the men stagger away, her head swirling with magic and questions. One hand sliding over the banister, a slight smile fixed into place. The ballroom was already half filled with guests. Zorena always made certain to arrive at least half an hour late to her own parties. The caterers and hired staff could take people's coats and direct them to the ballroom, and she knew the importance of making an entrance. She was making an entrance now, just as she'd calculated. Heads swiveled toward her. Someone called out her name. Zarena lifted one hand in greeting. Hello, Jacob, darling. She called out over the stairs banister, and then breezed the rest of the way down. Her Givenchy gown was perhaps a bit too formal for a cocktail party, such as this one, but Zarena preferred to be overdressed. Clothing was one of the clearest expressions of power, something the bourgeois West understood well. Tonight, her silver gown hung in sharp, cruel angles, and her new necklace glittered at the base of her throat. She was a knife primed to cut. Marco, she said, floating over to a group of agricultural secretaries from the Italian embassy. I'm so glad you could join us this evening. I'm so glad you could join us this evening, Marco replied. He plucked a wine flute from a passing drink tray and offered it to Zerena with a twinkle in his eye. I wanted to congratulate you on the party. It's been absolutely sublime so far. Love the ice sculpture. I'm glad to hear that. Zerena touched the wine to her lips, but didn't drink. She glanced at the others. Renato, Pietro, Cesar. Thank you all so much for coming. I wouldn't miss a Zerena-Pullnock party if the embassy were burning to the ground, said Pietro, and they all laughed uproariously. Zerena only smiled. What a sweet thing for him to say, said the tilt of her head. The idea that treason was worth an evening of cocktails and hors d'oeuvres. I was wondering, said Renato, the oldest of the four and the most seasoned at the diplomatic circuit. If your husband would be joining us. The other three men looked toward her expectantly, and Zarena put on an expression of carefully cultivated disappointment. I'm afraid the ambassador is not feeling well this evening, and you know how he is with parties. She touched Renato's arm softly, a gesture of calculated intimacy, he chuckled. Never had the patience for them, that man. How he manages as a diplomat is beyond me. Now, now, Zerena said. There's more to diplomacy than just parties. Renato swiped one hand dismissively, and the others laughed. Zerena took this moment to make her departure. Oh, I'd love to talk a bit more But I need to make the rounds, you know how it is. Shall we chat later? And then she was on her way, flowing slowly through the party, scanning the faces for anyone of interest. The lights in the ballroom were dimmed, hiding the worn shabbiness of the wood paneling in the walls, the faded spots in the silk curtains that cascaded down from the soaring ceilings. Zeraina knew how to capture the opulence of her fading estate even if its bright gleam lasted only a moment. She stopped and chatted with a few more clumps of guests, going through the motions expected of her as the Soviet ambassador's wife. She air kissed and pretended to sip her wine and asked about Leandro's daughter away at boarding school in England. And then she moved on, gliding like a shark through the eddies of guests. She had been circulating for about 15 minutes, when she saw Tatiana Mikhailovna and Nadezhda Furodovna speaking with an attache from West Germany. They did not see her, and they were involved enough in the conversation that it was acceptable for her to breeze past. Here at the party, muffled by her drab Soviet clothes, it seemed impossible that Tatiana would have given an illegal radio to the Americans. She was a perfect little party girl, Serena knew and hard to find good gossip on. This radio was good gossip, weaponized gossip. Zerena had no doubt it would come in handy sometime in the future, assuming she could uncover the truth, and then keep Sasha distracted from learning it himself. Oh, Zerena, over here, I haven't seen you in ages. Zerena turned in one liquid motion, following the sound of the voice to wife to the Endoran representative, and a dull woman who fancied herself one of Zarena's friends. Zarena hadn't yet disabused her of the notion. She was still too useful. Zarena threaded her way over to her. Hello, lovely, she said, and they kissed the air around each other's cheeks. The scent of alcohol was already seeping through the heavy floral curtain of Mortena's perfume. Tacky, yes but she was notoriously chatty when she drank too much. Are you having a good time? Zarena asked. Of course, Martena giggled. I think it's impossible to have a bad time at one of your parties, Zarena. Oh, that's kind of you to say. Have you seen Luisa? She wasn't sure she would be able to come. She's been sick with the flu the last two weeks. I do wish this weather would just warm up, don't you? Zerena gave a sharp smile. Oh, darling, I am used to it. Martena's cheeks pinked, and she made a flustered noise in the back of her throat. Oh, yes, of course I know. I just find the cold so dreadful. I'm looking forward to summer. I tell Sebastian that he needs to be stationed someplace warm, the Philippines or Algeria or someplace. And he tells me I should be grateful that we're here in Prague. She blathered on. Zorina's irritation tightened into a coil inside her. If only she would blather about Tanya's radio. Not that the wife of the Endoran representative would know anything about that. Zorena angled her body toward Martana, as if listening closely, but her gaze turned out upon the sea of party guests. More people had arrived, and the party was beginning to form its own ecosystems, its own bureaucratic channels, the way all parties do. Zerena took note of it all, watching who toasted with whom, and who gathered together near the bandstand, and who stole away into the smoking room together. And then she saw someone she had never seen before. Martena, Zorena said, and tapped the woman on the arm to get her to shut up. Martena glanced over at her expectantly. Tell me, who is that man there? The handsome one. She gestured discreetly. The newcomer was stocky, dark haired and brown skinned, but he had an easy smile and a glimmer in his eye that she found appealing. Something about him seemed familiar. She hated this feeling, that there was information out there she should know, and yet it had somehow slipped by her. Oh, said Martena, that's the new arrival at the American embassy, Dominic Alvarez. He is rather handsome, isn't he? I should go introduce myself. Zerena looked apologetically at Martena and then whisked herself away. Dominic Alvarez. She rolled the name around inside her head. What secrets can I get you to share? Dominic sipped at a whiskey, watching the room with keen eyes. Zorena floated over to him, and he glanced at her, smiling in a devastatingly charming way. Hello there, he said, as if she were a surprise. Hello, Zarina held out one hand, And Dominic gave it a firm shake. I always introduce myself to new faces. I'm- Zerena Polnok. Dominic said, eyes bright. I saw a picture of you in the embassy, with your husband. I'd never forget a face like that. Zerena pretended this kind of flattery worked on her. Oh, (laughs) You're too much, mister. Alvarez, Dominic Alvarez. I just arrived at the U.S. Embassy. Ah, of course. Zarena smiled at him, taking in the details of his person. His suit fit him well, but it was shabby, the fabric worn and shiny in places. He smelled faintly of cigars. His hands had been rough to the touch. An outdoorsman. A military background, Zarena guessed, and she wondered what job he could have at the American Embassy. It did not escape her notice that he hadn't offered the information freely. This was her project for tonight, she decided, finding out all she could about this stranger. Tell me, Mr. Alvarez, how are you liking Prague so far? It's cold as shit, he winked at her. But it's getting warmer, and please, call me Dom. Dom, Zarena said. I think I can do that. Shall I show you around the party? If you're a new arrival, I can think of quite a few people who'd be interested in being introduced. That would be fantastic, Mrs. Pollock. She tittered, the lilting little laugh that set men like this at ease. Oh, <laughs> Zarena, please. Zarena it is. Shall we make the rounds? He offered his arm to her, a proper gentleman underneath those threadbare clothes. Zerena looped her arm through his and led him into the crowd. She leaned in close as they walked, talking to him in a low murmur, pointing out certain people. She wanted to know if he already recognized them or not. And that's Lars Johnson's, the Belgian ambassador? She pointed her head toward a tall, rather lanky man dancing with a voluptuous heiress. And the woman he's dancing with is Simona Fiala. She's a socialite here in Prague. You'll encounter her often enough if you attend the right parties. I never miss a party, Dom said, grinning. He didn't seem interested in the ambassador or the heiress, and Serena filed that information away. They drifted on a pair of feathers twisting together on the wind. Oh, cried Serena, there's Oliver and Marianella Hayek. Have you met them yet? It would be dreadfully useful for you to know them, since you're connected to the American embassy. She gave him a shining smile, and he returned one just as bright. I'm afraid I haven't had the pleasure. She guided him over. Oliver and Marianella were part of a ring of conversation that fell silent as she approached. Oliver lifted his glass in greeting. Zarena, he said, lovely party. I'm so glad to hear that, she gestured at Dom. This is Dominic Alvarez, the new arrival at the American embassy. I wanted to show him a taste of our hospitality here in Prague. This statement was greeted warmly, and Zorena made the rest of the introductions, pointing to each person in turn as she spoke their name and offered a bit of background for Dom's sake. She watched Dom's face as she performed, looking for a spark of recognition, a recoil of suspicion. Any break in his facade could be useful to her. But he was good, charming to the last, and he gave nothing away. You're stationed in Prague at an interesting time, said Oliver, who drained his glass and then gestured for a nearby waiter to bring him another. Zerena could tell he was already drunk. We don't usually find ourselves with murdered STB officers in our cemeteries. Marianella looked over at him in alarm, but Oliver just laughed and slapped Dom on the shoulder. I wanted to be honest, that's all. I assure you, I'm not an STB officer, Dom said smoothly. But I'll avoid cemeteries for the time being, just in case. Zarena considered this. Such a classic American, entirely unflappable. This coolness under pressure made her even more intrigued, more curious to peer into his closets. And so she politely excused Dom and herself from the Hayek's and angled him back out to the party. Don't mind that talk about murdered S.T.B. operatives," she said, scanning the room for their next target. The gossip hounds are making it out to be more than it is. Sometimes the gossip hounds learn the truth before the rest of us. Zarena looked over at him sharply. He was smiling down at her, eyes twinkling. Surely the wife of the Soviet ambassador would understand that. I'm not a politician. Just a housewife, I couldn't say. They wove through the party. Tension crept into Zerena's shoulders, but Dom seemed as loose as the first moment they'd spoken. She hated being in this position. It was not the place for her. She was used to being in control. And then, across the room, she caught a flash of something interesting. I see one of your colleagues, She said softly, watching Joshua Toms, another member of Prague's CIA office. She knew all about this one, had been slowly cultivating scraps of information about him since he first arrived in the city. Tonight, he was speaking with Alistair Winthrop. Curious. Shall we go say hello? She asked Dom. The man with him might be a good contact for you as well. You lead the way. Dom said, pointing to the crowd. You're listening to The Witch
0: Who Came In From the Cold. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator.
1: Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
0: The Witch Who Came In From the Cold is created by Max Gladstone. And written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushiewicz. Directed by Dennis Kao. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.